So it's a, a wonderful opportunity for me to uh, swing this way and to have uh, the privilege of uh, bringing God's words to you uh, this uh, morning. Uh, I met your pastor when he had come to Zambia to teach uh, at one of our uh, ministerial colleges. Uh, we have one on the Copper Belt, uh, one in Lusaka, and, uh, and two others outside of Lusaka. I will say a little bit more about that later on. Uh, but that's when uh, we met, and uh, over time we have uh, uh, kept in contact and uh, to share together uh, the blessings of the gospel and the love uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ has shared abroad in our hearts as we uh, rejoice uh, in his mercies uh, every day. I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Romans in chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Our main text is verse 8. Uh, but allow me to read the first 11 verses of that chapter. <coughs> Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the, very, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... For a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me read verse 8 once again. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. O Lord God, our Father in heaven, it is through the preaching of your word that you reveal your glory that you make your son known to us. May you do just that this morning. May you help us, O oh God, by the power of your spirit to respond to your word, to be attentive to it, and to see the beauty of your grace, the beauty of your love, and the mercies therein. And so may your, our hearts be drawn to you 
may our hearts be warmed by the truths that we will hear. Grant that your servant will be able to deliver your word with clarity, with conviction, and relying only upon the power of God and the work of his spirit. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the Bible, we have many examples, many instances of love at the human level. Descriptions and incidences where man shows his love for fellow man. God's creatures demonstrating and showing their love for fellow creatures made in the image of God. We have the example of a father's love for his son. Abraham loved his son Isaac. God says to him, take your son, your only son Isaac whom you love. Jacob loved Joseph. And we read of him that Israel, that is the other name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. We have examples of, of a husband's love for his wife and a, a wife's love for her husband. Isaac took Rebekah, we read in the book of Genesis, and she became his wife. And he loved her. We also have examples of love between friends. Jonathan and David. The soul of Jonathan was neat to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And we have example of a man's love for his people. And we could see no better example than that of the Apostle Paul's love for his countrymen. I wish, he says in, in chapter 9 of Romans, that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. These and many others are examples of selfless love. Examples of heroic love. Examples of virtuous love. But there is a love that far exceeds. There is a love that far excels any human love. And that is God's love for sinners. We read in verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God that far exceeds the utmost limit of human love. We can understand a, a friend loving a friend. We can understand a husband loving his wife. We can understand and identify with a wife loving a husband, parents loving their children, and children, children in turn loving their parents. But nothing gets any closer to the love that God has for sinners. And that is a love that is deep. It's a love that is extravagant. It's a love that is costly. It's a love that is astonishing. Charles Gabriel, in his glorious hymn, he says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned and clean. It's love that is so amazing. And this is the love that the Apostle Paul wants us to appreciate. 
This is a love that he wants us to see. This is a love that he wants us to understand. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Having substantiated his thesis of justification by faith alone, the Apostle Paul now discusses in the first 11 verses of chapter 5, the blessings of such such justification. What is it that God has provided for us in the blessings of justification? Well, we are told that there is peace with God. We are told that we have access to the grace in which we stand. We are told that there is cause for rejoicing even in the midst of suffering. We are told that there is God's love that he has demonstrated in the giving of his son for us and to us. And we are told that there is salvation and the averting of the wrath of God. Yes, God has clearly demonstrated his love for us in the gift of his son. And it is this love that I would like us to look at together this morning. And there are three things that I would like to highlight from our verse. First of all, we have the evidence and the reality of this love And secondly, the objects of this love. And thirdly, the accomplishments of this love. Firstly, observe the evidence and the reality of this love. Sometimes we we are tempted to ask ourselves this question and many other such questions. Does God love me? Is there any evidence that God truly loves me? How can I know that God really loves me? This verse gives us an incontestable answer to these questions. The Apostle Paul tells us that God's love is real. That God's love is authentic. That God's love has been demonstrated. It has been made manifest. And how has he done so? Well, we'll look at that later on. But this love is real. This love is evident. And God has demonstrated it right before our eyes. The verb that the Apostle Paul uses here that is translated in our ESV as shows. God shows. Other versions use the word demonstrates. It's a verb that means to provide evidence of a personal characteristic or claim through action. And that is what God has done. It means to demonstrate, it means to show, it means to bring out. It's the same word that Paul uses in chapter 3 and verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show, same word, to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? So there's something that God is demonstrating. There's something that God is laying bare. There's something that God is showing to us. Something that is making plain. Revealing to us. He's exhibiting it. And it is this real. It is this authentic love which God is making conspicuous, which God is making prominent, which God is uh, manifesting in his gospel. John chapter 3 and verse 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. The highest manifestation of God's love in the giving of his son. And so God has placed that love in a way that makes it so clearly evident to all of us as the most favorable, the most conspicuous, the most clear and visible demonstration of his love. But notice that the verb is in the present tense. And and these are some of the things that uh, uh, when we are so quick to read, we we, we do not notice that there is something significant that is being communicated here, even in the tense of the verb. Jesus died on the cross, yes, yes. It's an event that occurred in the past. And and, and Paul is not saying here that God showed his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. That would have been correct. Because the love of God is, 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 is something that is pointing to that particular event, the, 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 the atoning sacrifice, the penal substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but Paul is using the present tense here, implying that this demonstrating, this provision of the claim of God's love is an ongoing act that keeps happening today and will happen tomorrow and will happen the other day. It is something that God shows all the time. Shows, demonstrates. It's an ongoing reality. And so that's what we see about the evidence and the reality of this love. God is showing this love all the time. But notice, secondly, the objects of this love. Who are the objects of this love? Well, if God's love is an amazing, authentic, and incontestable reality, then in the objects towards whom this love is directed, we see something that is shocking. We see something that is astonishing. And and what Paul does in this verse, verse 8, And in the three verses clustered around verse 8 is is to expand that truth and to explain that truth. And he says the same thing in different ways just to make sure that we get it and we get it right. Apostle Paul wants us to see ourselves for who we are so that we can better appreciate the meaning and the significance of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and there's a way in which he wants us to see ourselves. And now are the objects of God's love described here. Well, notice beginning from verse 6, The Apostle Paul describes the objects of God's love as weak. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were weak, And this points to our situation. This points to who we are. We are transgressors. We are breakers of God's law. We are powerless and helpless. We are incapable of helping ourselves in any way. We 
so enjoy our sin that we do not have the slightest inclination whatsoever, nor the strength to make our way back to God. We are weak and helpless. We are in bondage to Satan. We are in bondage to the world. We are in bondage to the flesh. And we have no power in and of ourselves to do anything about that. We are weak. And it is in that state of weakness that God reached out to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Powerless. Helpless, weak. But secondly, the Apostle Paul describes us as ungodly in the same verse, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So we, we are not only weak and helpless and powerless, but we are happy to be that. We are content to be that. We want to worship ourselves. We want to elevate ourselves to a position where God alone must be elevated. We are not ready to worship God. We want to worship our idols. We want to worship the things that we cherish most in life. And Paul demonstrates that in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. A very frightening and vivid description of humanity lost without God. And the life of such a people who are lost without God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Beginning from verse 24 of chapter 1. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So dishonorable passions control the lives of those who are without God. They are ungodly. And Christ died for us when we were not only weak, but ungodly. But notice also, thirdly, that we are described as sinners. We always fail to hit the mark. We cannot see and we would not see the love of God and the grace of God. And we would not run after him. We would not seek him. We are fallen short of the glory of God. We, we are an empty people who cannot do anything at all that will please God. And we fail to be and we fail to do what God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. Sinners who are ever missing that mark. We are weak, we are ungodly, we are sinners, but it only gets worse. Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. We were enemies. Enemies of God. At enmity with God, waging war with God, lifting up our fists in his face and saying to him, we don't need you, we don't want you, and away with you. We are enemies. And at that very point, Christ died. For us. What is the Apostle Paul doing here? 
What the Apostle Paul is emphasizing, the alienation is emphasizing the powerlessness of humans. That's what he does in the first three chapters of the book of Romans. The universal sinfulness and depravity of humanity. For all have sinned. For all are weak. All are ungodly. All are sinners. All are enemies of God. And God. Turns around and loves such a people. An unlovable people. There was nothing in us to draw us to him. There's nothing he saw in us that should have compelled him to love us. No, we had sunk and sunk deeply in our own sinfulness. And there was nothing that could have drawn God to us in any way. That is the state in which he found us. That's what the Apostle Paul wants us to see. Martin Luther, the reformer, said this, and I quote, God does not love us because we are valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. There's nothing, nothing in us, nothing that should draw God to us. And we'll never grasp the heights of God's forgiveness. We can never grasp the heights of God's love. We can never grasp the heights of God's mercy and grace until we comprehend the depths of our own sinfulness. Until we realize and come to terms with the state in which God found us. That's when we begin to see. That's when we begin to understand. And that's when we begin to appreciate his love for us. We not only need someone to suffer with us. We need one who will suffer for us in our place. If the problem and the situation in which we are is to be remedied, we need someone who has to suffer in our place. Those are the objects towards whom the love of God is directed. But thirdly, the accomplishments of this love. The accomplishments of this love. And we see that pictured for us in the words. Christ died for us. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. There's something that God did. There's something that God has done. There's a way in which he he has made provision. There's a way in which the claims of his love, the personal characteristics of his love towards us have been made manifest. And how has that been made manifest? It's in the death of his son. In the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in those words, we do not only have a description of who we are as sinners that needed someone to die and to suffer in our place, but we also have the explanation and the purpose of Christ's death and what it has accomplished. He died for us. And that's the reason the Apostle Paul first shows us our wretchedness. Not only in describing the objects of 
such love, divine love from God, but also by laying the premise as to why we need to be justified, as to why Christ had to come and to suffer and to lay down his life. It's because the ones that are to be the recipients of such love are wretched sinners. Lost sinners. Ungodly and weak and at enmity with God himself. And so Paul first paints such a gloomy picture of our situation because he wants us to understand that what Jesus was doing on the cross is very significant. It is very important. Jesus did not go to the cross because there was something so wonderful about you and me that compelled him to be there. He did not go to the cross as a victim of the enmity of men who were so uh, 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 jealousy of his popularity and his growing fame and therefore they decided let us get rid of him. He did not go to the cross as a helpless victim who could do nothing about his faith. He's on the cross because there's no other way to deal with who we are and what we are. We are weak. We are ungodly. We are sinful. We are enemies of God. And so God in his own love and in his own mercy, he intervenes and shows the depth of his love for us by the death of his son. Nothing else could suffice. Nothing else could atone for human sin. Nothing else could reconcile us back to God. Nothing else could save us. And so Jesus had to die. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How deep God's love for you and for me. What then has the death of the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us? Well, verse 9, the apostle Paul says he has saved us from the wrath of God. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We were the objects of God's wrath. The God whom we had offended and grievously so. The God who was going to be perfectly just and right to punish us and to send us to hell. For that is what we deserved. The soul that sins must die. But the Lord Jesus Christ satisfies the justice of God. And the wrath of God is averted. The wrath of God is pushed aside. And God begins to see you and to relate with you. In love and with love because his wrath has been heaped upon his son who bears it in his body on the cross. But secondly, in verse 10 and 11, we are told that we have been reconciled to God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Reconciliation is the act of bringing hostile parties into agreement. It is making peace between enemies. 
we who were lifting up our fists in the face of God have now been conquered and subdued and we bow our knees before this great God and worship him for the salvation that we have now received is now our friend, is our Lord and becomes our savior. Christ has achieved that reconciliation. But furthermore, the Apostle Paul says, much more shall we be saved by his life. He's not only thinking of the present salvation, but he also has in mind the final consummation of our salvation and how great it shall be when we will spend eternity in the presence of the one who has saved us. Through the one who died for us. Saved to the utmost as it were. So if this is how God loves us. And it's a love that is demonstrated every day. It's a love that he shows to us every day. It's a love that is so deep and so real and so authentic, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? Well, God sent his son to save humans, and he did not spare his own son. No, he didn't. Like Abraham who did not withhold his dear son, beloved son from God, and he was ready and prepared to sacrifice him. Father, here is the wood and the fire we have, but where is the sacrifice? And his painful response to his son Isaac was, My son, the Lord will provide. And as they ascended that hill, possibly in total silence, and as they arrived on that hill, and Abraham binds his own son and lays him on the altar and lifts up his hand with a sharpened knife in his hand, and as it was coming down on the throat of his son, ready to slay him and offer him as a sacrifice, God speaks to him, Abraham! Do no harm to your son. Behold, there is a lamb caught in the thicket. God provides. And that is exactly what God does with his own son. Something of the shadow that we see in Abraham's self-giving of his own son. And God provides us with irrefutable evidence of the radical character of his love for humans. In offering his son to such a death. Death on the cross. And God's love is sung to the tune and the sound of the hammers and the piercing nails and the shrieking cries because our sin is so terrible. Our sin is so wicked. Our sin is so black that nothing less than the ghastly wreck of the cross could atone for it. It cost him his son. The death of his son. And even death on the cross to win you and me back to God. That is love so amazing, so costly. 
I don't know how many of you heard of this on, on news or watched it on, on, on your TVs on 23rd March this year in France. A special forces police officer responded to a terrorist situation with a jihadist gunman who had held many people hostage. And a couple had already been killed. And this police officer offered to trade places, to swap places with a female hostage. And that terrorist fellow obliged and they switched places and a few minutes later that officer was dead shot several times by the gunman and during his funeral he was eulogized by so many people and this is what the French interior minister said France will never forget his heroism bravery and sacrifice a spokesperson for the French national police said i bow to the courage sense of sacrifice and exemplary nature of this officer who gave his life for the freedom of the hostages and President Emmanuel Macron said he died in the service of the nation to which he had already brought so much by giving his life to put an end to the murderous armed jihadist terrorist he has fallen as a hero to be willing to die so that innocent people continue to live this is the heart of a soldier's promise to be ready to give your own life because nothing is more important than the life of a citizen this is the ultimate effect of the transcendence he bore Indeed, you agree with me that this is a rare display of courage. It's a rare display of sacrifice. But nothing compares to the love that God has for sinners in giving up his son as an atoning sacrifice for sin. The death of Jesus Christ is the ultimate expression of divine love. And Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. This officer, in carrying out his duty, his work, he puts his own life on the line. Not because he loved that woman. He did not even know her. But that's what duty compelled him to do. Even so, there are very few who do that. But the Son of God steps forward. And the Father consents to the Son's decision. I have to go down and lay down my life. Not for some good people. Not for some characters that are worth serving. No, wretched sinners. And Jesus suffers on the cross. The indignities, the insults being spat upon, impaled on the cross with spikes driven through his hands and his feet, and he hangs on that cross for six hours, bearing the wrath of God in his own body, that sinners, wretched sinners, should live. That's love. Costly love. Amazing love. Can we ever doubt God's love for us? Should we ever for a moment begin to think, does God really love me? No, dear friends, we must not. We should not. We dare not. 
especially if we even for a moment begin to think how undeserving we are of this love. How undeserving you are of this love. A love that God demonstrates to you. A love that God shows to you. A God whom you have offended. A God whom you have shunned. A God whom you despised. And he, he loves you in this way. He loves you in this way. And you question whether God truly loves you. No, we shouldn't. The greatness of the benefits that we have received demonstrate the glorious depth, the rich uniqueness and the complete fullness of God's love for us. We have been rescued from eternal torment. And God has taken away that verdict that hung over our heads. Guilty. Guilty, you deserve to die. Guilty, you are a sinner. You must be punished for your sins. Guilty, God has removed that. And pardoned we are as we stand in the presence of this God. Dear friends, this is the way that Jesus saves sinners. By putting into effect the love of God for wretched sinners. By dying for them. You and I did not initiate this saving work. You and I did not deserve it. You and I did not cause it. Because we were helpless. We were ungodly, we were sinners, we were enemies. It is God's own divine initiative. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me ask you this question. Is your love for God and your love to God being commended by your life. In order to demonstrate his love for us, there's something that God did. He offered up his son. If you do claim that you love him, if you have responded to his love, and his love has melted your heart, What is it in your life that commends your love for God? What is it that you do that is a clear manifestation of your love for him? Not that that is what is going to end God's love. But if God has loved you in such a way, he does not leave you where he found you. There must be a clear demonstration that you are no longer an enemy of God. There must be a clear demonstration that you are no longer ungodly in your lifestyle. There must be a clear demonstration that sin is no longer an oppressive force and power over your life. That's what Paul begins to talk about in chapter 6 onwards of the book of Romans. That the benefits of justification must lead to a particular life. The mortification of sin and the life of righteousness. The offering of your body, your life, your entire self as a slave. To righteousness. Is that something evident in your life that commends your love for God and to God? If not, then you need 
Christ. If not, then you must see yourself for who you are. If not, you must understand what a wretch you are and come into the presence of this loving God who did not withhold his dear son, his beloved son, from the indignities and the injustice and the terrible pain and hurt of the cross in order that you could live and live for God. Oh, that God will commend his love to us deeply, profusely, that we might see what it cost him to show forth his love for wretched sinners. Let us pray. O Lord God, our Father in heaven, we fear that sometimes we grow all too familiar with the language of Scripture. We grow all too familiar with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ that it may so easily become just a historical detail that forms part of the Christian faith. Forbid it, Lord, that that must and ought to be the way in which we perceive the cross. May it melt our hard and stony hearts so that we might see ourselves for who we are in the eyes of God. That nothing less than the death of your son could avail for our salvation. Lord, we pray that we might come and stand in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, And there to see the demonstrated love of God for us. That we may be able to say, love so amazing demands my life and my whole. To you alone be the glory, the power, and the majesty now and forevermore. Amen.